KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community tonight. Election Eve, do you know where your ballot is? Stick around, we're going to be talking about that with some of uh, the guests I had a chance to Zoom with earlier today on election ins and outs. Do you know what to do with your ballot? Stick around for that. Also, it's a bit of Meet Your Maker tonight, conversations about creativity with local artists and DIY creatives. We've got Art Access's Gabriella Huggins here. They've got a new quarterly prints program, the Embedded Ecologies exhibit is wrapping up at the downtown Salt Lake City Library. And of course, as we approach the end of year, all nonprofits need your help. We'll hear what their plea is to the community. Later this hour, Illuminate, Utah's Light Art and Creative Tech Fest. We're going to be talking with the director as well as one of the drone artists. What is drone art and what does it mean for the night sky? We'll find out later tonight. And since we have a bunch of election stuff, I'm going to hold all those conversations for rallies and resources and get right to Gabriella Huggins from Art Access. Hi, how you doing? Well, how are you? So good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you for always having us on. Not far from us here in the Guadalupe, over there at 230 South, 5th West. Yes, ma'am. Art Access is uh, all uh, about increasing accessibility for the artists as well as the community to engage with artists who may have disabilities of varying stripes. Mentorship programs, we've talked about it on this program many times. But let's get to uh, this Embedded Ecologies that's about to wrap. Just have a couple more days. Yeah, Embodied Ecologies um, is the exhibit that is downtown at the Salt Lake City Library in the fourth floor gallery. Um, Embodied Ecologies was 2022's version of our artist working group, which is a new program that we piloted at the beginning of this past year, where we engaged with um, some local working artists, pay them stipends to create work um, about disability and, and the intersection with some important issue. Um, so the Embodied Ecologies groups, it's five core working artists, as well as um, eight contributing artists that made a bunch of different work. We have sculpture, we have painting, we have some multimedia, um, um, mixed media op objects as well. Mm -hmm. um, and these artists all got together and created work around disability and the environment. So ideas of community care, conceptions of health and what is normal health, um, being able to engage with the, with the natural environment if you have a disability, things like that. And that's on display at the fourth floor gallery of the downtown Salt Lake City Public Library. Correct. Yep. Fourth floor gallery, fourth floor gallery downtown. It's open to the public, totally free. That was another really important piece of this um, gallery for us is making sure that, you know, so we partnered with a student at the, at the University of Utah's um, Environmental Humanities program, Tanner Humanities. Um, and so it was really important for us um, as a partnership to make sure that, yes, we're having this academic person come into the space and work with these artists in this more grassroots way. And that this show will be up at the University of Utah and the Marriott Library through the end of the month after we wrap at the library this weekend. Um, but we also wanted to make sure that, that that this gallery was available to the public in an accessible space. So downtown yeah. in a free space at the library. The main library downtown is 210 East, 4th South, and there's a track stop right, right out there. front. Yep. And the, li the library, one of the more accessible buildings in our community, frankly. Beautiful building, and yeah, mm -hmm. very accessible. A lot of open space, elevators, the gallery space. We mm -hmm. also worked really hard with the exhibit to actually um, hang it in such a way that was um, accessible for different folks with different disabilities. Um, so there's the hanging heights are a little bit lower to accommodate folks who maybe are using wheelchairs or need to be seated to view the work. Um, there are QR codes that link to audio descriptions of the pieces, as well as um, like the artist bios and stuff like that, too. So we also would just love feedback from 
disabled community members about their experience in that gallery, um, I think we're always trying to learn how to do our job better. And so that kind of feedback is super important for us. I went to a panel discussion last week at Lost Eden Gallery at mm -hmm. the Gateway with the mayor and some other folks about the state of, of the arts. So one of the questions that I wanted to hear more about is, what are we doing to make art um, possible because rents for living space, studio space, gallery space, all through the roof in this economy, in this hot market. What are you hearing from folks that you work with about that issue? Yeah, I think those issues seem to be sort of tried and true, right? They're the same issues that unfortunately disabled community members have been fighting against in time memoriam. Um, and so we really exist as an organization to challenge those structures and systems that make art inaccessible. You know, disabled folks are just as likely as non-disabled folks to create art and want to make engage in the arts. Um, but there are so many more barriers to access, physical barriers to access, economic barriers to access. Um, one of the things that our access is really excited about actually um, is reactivating our physical space. So we used to have a gallery space downtown next to our brick and mortar offices. The gallery had to close for some reasons right before the pandemic happened. Um, but that's given us an opportunity to really reimagine what our space looks like so we can re as we reopen we can really um, host artists who need gallery space that's free and affordable um, and also to host community groups so writing groups art groups who want to do workshops with us in our space we're really building out that space to get some automatic doors in there um, rebuild it so that the plumbing is better and the lighting is better so that it can be a versatile space for hosting workshops and also hopefully be gallery space for artists. So that's coming back in that 2023? coming back in 2023. That is the plan. Well, any timetable? Not quite sure. It say? looks like it looks like um, we, you know, we've, we just secured some funding, which is really, really exciting. Mm -hmm. um, some really generous grant funding to start that process out. So that's probably something that's going to be going on through the end of this year yeah. and into the spring. Um, so hopefully we'll be reopening to the public and really inviting our community members to come join us in our space hopefully in like March April one of the things that this panel discussion last week was you know how can you help an artist pay an artist absolutely their publicity you know wonderful with social media everyone's got a better handle on their own publicity partnerships help extend their reach but paying an artist so they can do the work that they love to do and are so passionate about doing and to increase their own craftsmanship and that's part of your year-end plea and a new program about quarterly print what is that? Yeah, absolutely. So our access, as you were saying earlier, at the end of the year, it's this final push to get some more funding to support the important missions of all the nonprofits doing work in our community. Um, this year for our annual appeal, we're really trying to connect the work that we do, the, the, the gifts that people give us to the direct programming that it, that it serves, right? And one of the ways that we're doing this is through giving tiers. So we have several diff different giving tiers. One of our giving tiers has an actually a $500 donor match that so if we can raise funds between five and $25 from several different community members, um, we have a matching grantor who will give us $500 if we can raise $500. So that's really exciting. And then the Quarterly Prints is another incentive program that folks can sign up for. We're launching it as part of this annual appeal. Um, so how that works is that um, we have... We we are connecting with artists and we're paying them up front for um, original prints that are only only available through Art Access. And then if you sign up for this program every quarter, so every three months th throughout the year, you'll get um, a, an original print from a local artist that was paid for creating this work while also supporting other artists in their program and our programming through Embodied Ecology, through the working groups and through partners, et cetera, et cetera. That is fantastic. What a great way to support the arts and give gifts this time of year. 
lots of nonprofits have uh, things like we're talking about with the Quarterly Prints at Art Access Gallery. You also, I believe, have another exhibit, if you're, if the schedule in my mind, I'm asking off the top of my head here, the one that you usually do in January, February or yeah. so. Are you doing a call for artists? What's going on? The Partners exhibit will be up at the Bountiful Davis Art Center um, in the early 2023. We still haven't solidified a date quite yet, but that'll be late January, early February, likely. Um, we have four different partnerships that will be displaying work there. For the first time, we have a performance artist that's going to be doing some drag performance artwork, um, which is really, really exciting. Um, and then calls for artists for both partners and the, the artist working group um, next round will open in early December. In early December. Well, please come back so we can talk more about the, the call for artists and maybe dive into some previous artists that have participated, like in Embedded Ecologies, which ends its run at the Salt Lake City Library on Friday. But where is it going after that again? It is going up to the Marriott Library at the University of Utah. Um, Digital Matters, I believe, is what that gallery space up there is called. And they've been super generous to host um, our, our artist's work and also Natalie Slater, who's our partner up there. And I, again, off the cuff here, any piece or two in Embedded Ecologies that you'd like to shout out that po- people take a keep an eye out for? Yeah, there is this really amazing... Um, this it's it's a sculpture that's like a stool um it's it has it almost looks like trees like three different trees that are different tiers um this the shape the texture is just really beautiful and it's paired with a painting by the same artist um who it's an apple like two two halves of an apple i'm really exploring this idea of pain in the body pain in the body look for that embedded ecologies at the downtown salt lake city public library fourth floor gallery yes ma'am but where can people read about everything we've talked about including your year-end plea online yeah online at our website artaccessutah.org a-r-t-a-c-c-e-s-s utah.org and you can find about all our programs find our quarterly prints which you can sign up for uh, during the annual appeal but also throughout the year um, after we launched this fall Thanks so much for coming in, Gabriella. Yeah, thanks for having us. And I, I expect to see you back in December when we do this call for artists. But uh, I went to the store and already since Halloween's gone, it's all holidays. So happy holiday. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Happy holiday <laughs> to you too. All right. We've got, some election, we've got some election information coming up. Stick around for that. But recently, Salt Lake Community College leaders have been pondering what to do for their DACA students. To find out more, let's pass the microphone. My name is Christian Martinez, and I'm a journalism student at Salt Lake Community College. Hey, Christian, and you're also part of The Globe, the student-run newspaper, correct? That's correct. Um, currently, the president I currently have is editor-in-chief over there, yeah. Right, and you just had a story run over the weekend in conjunction with Amplify Utah and the Salt Lake Tribune. And the headline here, Salt Lake Community College leaders disappointed by court ruling that leaves DACA program in limbo. What made you ask this question, Christian, and what'd you find? Uh, well, yeah, it's just the... Um... As soon as I saw the ruling, um, I knew that it would um, obviously have implications for the Dream Center at Salt Lake Community College, which um, which works with um, the the school's DACA non documented communities. Um, so I just reached out to a few people um, around the college who would be able to speak to that, and yeah, they pretty much just let me know that um, the ruling is a um, I think, as the article says, kind of a disappointment um, or disappointing. Um, and it has, obviously, there's a lot of work that's being done with the uh, undocumented DACA, uh, and DACA communities at the college. Um, so depending on how this vote goes in the future, um, which is what kind of what this article addresses, is kind of the, the potential um, for where the decision goes in the future. Um, it could place a lot of strain on the uh, Dream Center, which is, I think is like the main focus of what I try to focus on towards like the second half of the 
the article um, and just kind of the strain that might be put on, put on the center um, as well as the strain that would be put on a lot of on, on the students um, visiting the center and you know receiving help from the center. In fact, Alonso Reina Rivarola, a DACA recipient and senior director of the college's Office of Institutional Equity, Inclusion and Transformation, he's skeptical that DACA is going to survive. And what are you hearing from students who are documented and are concerned about their future? Uh, well, I'll be honest with you. I haven't had a chance to speak with a lot of students, particularly in regards to the rulings. Um, but I do know um, students who, unfortunately, I wasn't able to reach out with for this story, but who um, are at the college, um, some who I've actually spoken to with for previous stories that I've done in the past, who, um, you know, there is a lot of reliance on um, kind of those work permits that are, um, you know, handed out, or not, not just say handed out, but um, uh, that the program gives to, you know, recipients, right? So there is, I think, you know, there is that work um, permit um, um, thing that kind of factors into the, the rulings and decisions and the future of the program. There's also, you know, the deportation protections that also come along with that. Um, that is also a factor that I imagine. Um, I, I can't put myself in their shoes, but I, I imagine that it is something that, you know, because I, I, I was born here. Um, I have a Mexican descent, but I, I am not a DACA recipient. But, you know, I, I can't imagine the, the feelings that um, students who are DACA recipients or, um, you know, kind of what they're going through. And what I think Alonso said, right, that it is an exhausting thing to kind of have this burden over your head um, just all the time. In the article, you report that the college and the Use Dream Centers both recently partnered with Voices for Utah Children to cover those DACA renewal fees, to cover them or reimburse them. And the college, you report, announced in September that it would do the same for its employees. So DACA, obviously, part of um, uh, reality for many students at the community college and the University of Utah. So you reported on someone named Santoyo. Please introduce us to that person and a project they're working on to navigate the process. Mm, yeah, so uh, Brenda, Brenda Santoyo is um, the manager of the Dream Center. Um, I think that's her, the, her official position name, I think. Um, so she pretty much just oversees the Dream Center and um, she also oversees, I think, different um, interns and coordinators who also work at the, the Dream Center and they work to connect students um, at the college to resources and to help them navigate college. Some of those resources include things like scholarships, um, um, things like that. Um, th I think that partnering with um, um, that nonprofit organization is also an extension of the work they're doing to um, help students, um, DACA recipients, um, to reimburse the fee that comes every two years. Um, she, she wants to create this independent mm -hmm. contractor system, though, because the, that DACA um, card allows yep. you to work and if you lose that card mm -hmm. technically legally you're not supposed to work so she's trying to find a workaround you report right right and, and I, I don't want to thank you there because i did uh, lose my train of thought there for a second but yeah so she's she's working to um, implement this independent contractor system that is um as she says it's still kind of being worked out um mostly because of the way the processes work at the college that it is difficult to get it implemented and she's working with colleagues to do so and as you say, um, it would, um, I think she also mentioned that even if DACA isn't completely rescinded, it is still something that she wants to implement. But in the case that it is rescinded um, in that um, possibility, um, it would, as you say, help um, 
students who lose their work per, uh, permits to have some sort of compensation at the college. Yeah. So thank you so much for giving us some time here and uh, congratulations on being the editor at the Globe. What's the website where folks can learn more about the Dream Center at the college? The uh, website URL is slcc.edu forward slash Dream Center. And check tonight's show notes for that link so you can read Christian's story as well about Salt Lake Community College and DACA students. Tomorrow is election day. And to find out more about Get Out the Vote efforts, let's pass that microphone. So my name is Sofia Negrete Retamales. Um, I work for Comunidades Unidas as the democracy organizer. So that means I am in charge for the Vote for Two campaign, which um, aims to get all of the Latinx community that is eligible to vote out to vote um, and to re remind our community that voting is a privilege that not everyone in our community holds um, and that it is super important to keep this in mind when voting um, as you could be voting for two people. Especially with the recent um, court action on DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, um, has then once again thrown folks who are documented into limbo, continued limbo. So vote for two. For folks that may be hearing this phrase for the first time and going, what does that mean? Let's just go a little bit more into it. Because I remember the first time I had Communities United on to talk about that in our community. There's a little uproar. And what you're saying is your vote is yours, but there's lots of folks who don't have that right yet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a lot of people who don't have the privilege to vote, who um, maybe in the process of um, an immigration status, et cetera. Um, there are many folks in our state who cannot use that privilege. So um, it is important for anyone who is able to vote um, to go vote and represent our community um, as who knows who else you are representing with your vote. Um, and just showing up to the polls uh, makes a huge difference in our community. Just as parents know their votes count for their kids too. They're, they're making a statement on behalf of the values that they hold, regardless of how you vote, use it. So as a democracy organizer, tell me what it's been like this campaign season, especially as we rapidly close it with midterms tomorrow. Yeah, um, well, it's been a lot. Um, there has been a lot of different progress. There has been a lot of calls texts uh, made, um, a lot of community members showing up to inspire other community members to go out and vote. Um, it's been great to like see the engagement of the community. Um, and also it's been great to hear people on, on the phone being interested in learning more about this campaign, being really excited for their capacity of voting for two people or their capacity to inspire others around them to vote and get out to the polls. Um, so yeah, even people who may not be eligible to vote, uh, we've been contacting everyone in our community and um, it's been great to see the excitement around like people getting others out to vote, inspiring others and being like, even if I may not have the ability to vote, I would like to be educated on what is happening, know what, why voting is important, know like all the positions that are up to date and stuff and like be updated about everything that is happening in this election cycle. In fact, just two days ago, you, Communities United, Comunidades Unidas has been using its social media to educate folks. There's a constitutional amendment on the ballot. 
You've got a great post from a couple of days ago. Where can people follow you online and get all that information on voting and the educational materials? Yeah, uh, so um, all of our social media pages uh, should be up to date uh, with all the information that we've been spreading. Um, as you mentioned, we have the Utah Constitutional Amendment a little explained on what it means if you vote yes, if you vote no on it. Um, we also have some comparisons of the Senate race candidates, um, just factual their positions. Um, so it's a pretty good place to get informed. Um, and our Instagram is um, at Comunidades Unidas. Uh, that would be C-O-M-U-N-I-D-A-D-E-S-U-N-I-D-A-S. Um, so that's our organization's name, um, and that's how you can find us in both Facebook and Instagram. And you can also visit our website uh, of Vote for Two, where you can find all of the information that you may need for tomorrow's election, whether that is uh, polling locations, um, candidates, inform information on the candidates, um, how you can register to vote, um, etc. Lastly, Sophia, what's your message to folks who have the right to vote and maybe thinking my vote doesn't count. What's your message to them as we head to the polls one final time this election cycle tomorrow, November 8th? Uh, definitely. So, well, first of all, this election is extremely important for all of our communities uh, just because of the fact that key issues such as education, the economy, COVID-19 recovery, immigration reform, student loan debt, reproductive rights, LGBTQ plus rights, um, et cetera, and many other issues will be decided by the officials elected in this cycle. Um, this election includes a Senate seat, four House uh, congressional, yes, congressional seats, um, and many more super important local government positions as well. Um, these elected candidates will have the power on to decide on all of these issues that I've mentioned. So we just want to encourage you and remind you that tomorrow uh, show up for your community and show up to a voting location if you can vote. Uh, make sure to also tell your friends and family to vote, give them a ride, make it a little hangout, make it a date, however it is that you get other people um, in your life motivated to go vote with you, uh, that would be great. Um, if you need to find voting locations, go to vote.utah.gov or the Comunidades Unidas website. Uh, don't hesitate to contact Comunidades Unidas as well if you need any more information. And lastly, our vote is our voice, so don't forget to vote for two. Your vote is your voice. Thank you, Sophia. Check tonight's show notes for a link to Comunidades Unidas. And I wanted to wrap with a conversation I recorded late this afternoon with Shelly Jackson from uh, vote.utah.gov, as Sophia just mentioned. So let's pass that microphone one more time. I'm trying to really emphasize, can you tell? Vote tomorrow. Shelly Jackson. I'm the Deputy Director of Elections at the State of Utah with the Lieutenant Governor's Office. In Utah, Lieutenant Governor's Office it has the ultimate responsibility for elections across the state, but there are so many elections happening on Election Day. You got any numbers to run for us on what we can expect tomorrow? Well, you know, tomorrow's the last day at 8 p.m. for everyone to drop off their ballots. Uh, today's the last day to mail them, although I do recommend just bypassing the mail today and getting them to a drop box. Um, and then we're kind of at a lower turnout right now as of this morning. We're at about 31%, but uh, that ha doesn't take into account any ballots that people may have put in drop boxes over the weekends and certainly doesn't take into account any ballots received today. You know, an off-season or what do they call it? An off-general? Midterm. Uh, midterms are... Yeah. 
main terms aren't general, you know, within the president's on the ballot is what I'm trying to get to. Forgive my stumbling today. Um, so that tends to be lower turnout, but it feels like the attention from pundits and media hasn't slowed down any. So I am kind of shocked at the low turnout so far. And just to clarify, since this will air after the post office closes for the day, folks, if you missed going in and being able to see them time stamp it, <laughs> date stamp it, take it to a voting drop box or election center on election day. Right, Shelley? Absolutely. So there are 29 counties in Utah and there are elections up and down the ticket, as we say. So what is your advice to folks who still have these ballots in their hands or, you know, like me, like to go to the polls on Election Day? Well, if you're planning to vote in person um, there, it's possible there might be long lines uh, with the lower turnout. We are advising clerks to just be prepared tomorrow. Uh, our office is asking county clerks to not release results until after every single person in line statewide has voted. So in Utah, if you're in line at the polls by 8 p.m., you are allowed to vote. Uh, we're not necessarily expecting long lines, but we are preparing just in case. Um, if you're someone who likes to vote in person, just take your consider taking your by mail ballot and dropping it off in person with a poll worker. I'm sure you can still get a sticker. It's all about the sticker on election. <laughs> and then if you are going in because maybe you've moved, maybe you're new, you can vote on election day. We have same day voter registration. What should folks take with them to the polls? Absolutely. If uh, Good point. So if you didn't get registered or didn't get your registration updated, uh, plan on going in person and taking two forms of ID. You need something that proves who you are, your identity, and then something uh, that proves your address in Utah, where you are. So that could be, you know, there's a whole list at our website, vote.utah.gov, but things like car registration, uh, uh, utility bills, lease agreement, that kind of thing. And does at least one of them have to have a photo on it? Yes. So one thing that proves your identity and has a photo, and then one thing that has your current address on it. And when you go to vote same day, register and vote same day, you're going to be doing something called a provisional ballot, correct? That's correct. And it's just a basically a regular ballot. It does get segregated because that allows, uh, so it doesn't get included in the election night returns, but it does get included in the final results. And so it gives the clerks a chance to just go through that registration process and make sure that you are an, an eligible uh, voter. And so you said, you know, there's the night tally and then what happens over the course of the next, what is it, two weeks, the canvas. So the it, yes, canvas. <laughs> up to 14 days, it's called the canvas. And so um, counties have the, you, the earliest a county could canvas is seven days. So the following Tuesday and the latest is that second Tuesday afterwards. And um, the county clerks are receiving, you know, still um, ballots in the mail. And so they're verifying that postmark date. They're working through all the ballots that came in on election day. Um, they're giving people, so if you got a letter saying that maybe your signature didn't match on your by mail ballot, you've got that time during the canvas to sign an affidavit or call your contact your clerk's office and kind of work that out and get your, and then they add all those ballots into that total final or total tally. And, um, you can check our website every day, after, every workday after 5 p.m. So anytime a county clerk's office is processing and tabulating ballots, uh, we'll be updating that website after 5 p.m. There's been a lot on the news about um, 
our political divide, about voter intimidation of whatever stripe. What is your message to voters as we head to the polls for midterms 2022 on Tuesday? Fortunately, we haven't seen all the problems that some of the other states have, but we've certainly, we've had, um, definitely the clerk's offices have taken the brunt of it, your county clerk's office. Uh, since 2020, going through this uh, election cycle, we're turning over two thirds of our 29 county clerks. So our message is be kind, be patient. Your clerks, they're your neighbors, your friends. Um, they're really just good, hardworking people that are doing doing really the work of democracy. And uh, I have worked at a county clerk's office, a couple of them. So is our director of elections. We're all just good people. I, we talk to them regularly. We talk to clerks across the nation. They're all just hardworking people who want to do the best they can. And so be kind, say thank you tomorrow. And your tax dollars at work at vote.utah.gov, where you can get all sorts of voter information, all the details about to take to the polls with you if you're going to vote and register the same day. But also, one of my favorite things, you can track your ballot, Shelley. Yes, ballot tracks, uh, Utah. You can go on our website. I use it. I got noticed the other day that my ballot was counted. So um, it's a great thing, and it's part of, you know, the clerks have a lot of responsibility, but we also ask the voters to just take a little bit of that responsibility when their ballot gets to them, track it when it gets returned. Uh, at this point, like you said, take it directly to a Dropbox. Don't take it to the post office. And one more time, that website? Vote.utah.gov. And from there, you can sign up for ballot tracks. Shelly Jackson, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, happy Election Day. Happy Election Day. Do you know where your ballot is? Again, we are past the time to take it to the post office. You drop it into a post office box. It's after hours. It will not be postmarked correctly, folks. So take it to a voting center in your county on your way to work while you're out and about tomorrow. And don't forget, Utah is same-day voter registration. So if you haven't registered, if you've moved, um, you take your ID with you. You go to the poll as long as you're in line before 8 they will give you a provisional ballot, as Shelley just discussed. More details you can find in the show notes tonight at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones. You're listening to Radioactive. And when we come back, illuminate. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Love Promise, a partnership with local nonprofit organizations to support and strengthen our community. Now accepting applications for 2023 nonprofit partnerships. More information on Mark Miller Subaru's love promise and application process at markmillersubaru.com. Music Meets Movies continues this Thursday, November 10th, with award-winning film Rumble, The Indians Who Rock the World. Rumble is a documentary about the far too often overlooked influence indigenous musicians had and still have on popular music in North America. There was this key expression, be proud you're an Indian, but be careful who you tell. All of a sudden I was talking about Native American issues and big time television. And all of a sudden everything disappeared. Rumble, the Indians who rocked the world, this Thursday at Bruvies in Salt Lake. One screening only, tickets at the door at 6.30 p.m., movie at 7.30 p.m. And Dave John and me, Valiant MC, will be there. More information at krcl.org.
little Bjork for you here on Radioactive. And why? Well, one of our guests considers Bjork one of the foremothers of art and tech coming together and creating something that uh, will be on display. No ticket necessary this Friday, November 11th and 12th at Library Square as, as Light Art and Creative Tech Festival Illuminate moves to Library Square. And joining me now to talk about it, as well as some of the themes in this year's festival, we have the festival director of Illuminate, Kim Angeli. How you doing, Kim? Doing great, Laura. Had to play the Bjork, Bjork for you. <laughs> Thanks for doing that, yeah. And a bit of the Bjork. I'm <laughs> guessing it might be on a playlist or two at the festival this weekend. What do you think? Well, we are featuring a lot of women musicians, so I don't <laughs> think we... We do not have a Bjork cover band. So. <laughs> what? Okay, no. you just gave me an idea. <laughs> uh-huh. Bjork cover band must arise. <laughs> anyway, also joining us, you brought with us someone who I thought this was his, his job title, but it's his, <laughs> it's his art name. I'm such a dork. David Giardinelli, thank you so much for coming. Hi. You're going to be projecting on the city and county building, and your art name is? Visual Trigger. I love that. So we're going to get into what the themes are, what you have planned, because I can't wait to see what goes up on that surface. That's got to be a pretty fun canvas to play on. Yeah, we're super excited. It's one of our favorites. We've been driving by there for years and just saying, wouldn't it be cool if we could map that building? Wouldn't it be cool? And it's happening. Tell us why Library Square is now the home of Illuminate. Well, it was really driven by this central art piece that David's working on. We are um, in 2020 during the COVID years where we were not having festivals, we had the opportunity to do a projection piece on the city county building. And it was like the greatest art project that no one ever saw. <laughs> we were um, literally, <clears throat> we, we learned a lot by doing that, but we, had, we understood at that point that we could expand upon that and to really showcase it, it made a lot of sense to move the entire festival around that centerpiece so well and one of the other things that i know you love to do is close mm. streets so mm. second east between fourth and fifth <laughs> south will be closed you're gonna have what food you're gonna have live music yeah we'll, we'll have a lot of the traditional festival elements like you said plenty of food trucks we have um a full entertainment lineup our stage actually has some like pyrotechnic elements to fit the light art theme there's a handful of night market vendors, brave little souls, to sell their wares in the cold temperatures this year. <laughs> It'll be bracing, but uh, festive. Yeah, yeah. It's um, everything sort of woven under the theme Mother Nature in Light. So a lot of what we do is bring a, you know, a lot of warmth to the darkness that we create as a base layer at the festival. And femin- feminism is a huge underpinning here. It is. Um, so I, you know, I am definitely interested in a lot of female driven issues right now, as we are all. So, you know, get out and vote, as Laura Jones has been reminding <laughs> you all day today. But um, we just wanted to approach the um, look at environmentalism and sustainability from a more feminine um, approach, which to me means these notions of healing and regeneration and nurturing as we collectively sort of come out, come into this new space we have in the world. And, you know, I think that there was a lot of um, things. Our artists are not all female. We have, um, you know, all genders, of course, willing um, willing and interested to express have been invited to the festival and are part of the festival. But it gives the artists that are presenting sort of a theme to latch onto and something to work yeah. around. In fact, you just showed me a photo of something mm-hmm. coming together. Mm-hmm. Can we tease a little bit of that? Sure. Um, Alita Boyce, if you're out there, Alita, she creates um, giant large-scale puppets, and she has a Gaia puppet that she's created that's about, 
Oh my gosh, like 30 feet tall that will be wandering the festival. So it um, looks amazing. So you're going to have some puppets wandering. Will Mm -hmm. there be any fire breathers by chance? So um, actually, we did the pyrotechnics on the stage. So we have some um, pretty substantial art pieces that have fire elements with them, as well as fire cannons on the stage. Mm -hmm. But I'm not into the performance side this year. Tell me about the drone aspect. And then I have a question for you about drones, Mm -hmm. the night sky and dark skies. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Well, this is um, Illuminate's first year. We've been wanting to do a drone show at Illuminate for many years. It's um, really, it's that kind of intersection that we're trying to find between technology and art. Yeah. So, and this definitely has an artistic view on the drones. So, um, we were able to do it this year. We're excited. Our show will have about 150 drones that will, they'll be staged on 200 East and then they rise into the air about 400 feet above the city county building and create different shapes based on our mother nature theme that's i'm, I'm really interested to see how that works who's doing <clears throat> the drones there it's a local company open sky productions okay. so shout out to them they've been um super hel- um, helpful and really excited they've been getting a lot of work this is becoming more and more popular as communities pivot away from traditional firework yeah. shows and look mm-hmm. for something that's um different mm-hmm. artistically yeah. um I don't need less pollution, less air pollution, less noise pollution. Of course, but... you, you wander into the dark sky <laughs> conversation. Yes, yep, I did. <laughs> Blindly. <laughs> All right, I won't make you go there. But it was interesting to see this article about mm. this Candy Crush ad in the night sky in you know Times Square. I just expect that it will eventually take its verticality even more even higher with the use of drones and and projections and things. But uh, we've all seen those movies, those dystopian futuristic Mm -hmm. movies where there's so much virtual that you're flying through at all times. It's going to be interesting to see how it develops. And that's part of um, not the the crass commercialism, but developing this space of Mm -hmm. art and tech. Like we talked about Bjork Mm -hmm. is someone you, you, you view as a foremother of this. Right, yeah. Bjork, you know, she is, in my formative years, when I was learning to love music in the 90s, um, Bjork Post was, you know, an anthem, I think, of that time. But she's just, she's political, she's weird, she's artistic, she's, you know, feminine forward. I think it was a really good way to talk about Illuminate Mm -hmm. and technology, right? So this technology is not going away. No. I mean, drones are controversial, no doubt about it. I mean, everything from them one day delivering packages to your door it's here but what we can do what we do have the power to do in our artistic community is to create beautiful things with that to create positive messages and to put forth you know the the creation aspect that we do well you in the public comes down and experiences this and Mm -hmm. gets more exposed to it okay what do we want what do we support that basically a new art form is growing and if you want to shape it, show up to Illuminate and see what's going on. Meet some of the artists. Meet some of the drone operators. This is your opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. This is actually, I believe it's the first public show that's been in Salt Lake City for of a drone show. So that's pretty exciting. I mean, one of the things we do well at with Illuminate is to bring these technology-driven art forms into the public sphere mm-hmm. when they are mostly seen in corporate and private events because yeah. they're... I mean, quite honest, frankly, very expensive to do, Mm -hmm. you know, and so and this is a free festival. Utah Arts Alliance is a nonprofit, you know, a part of the mission of the organization is to bring these non-traditional art forms into the public sphere so people can be inspired to become better creators. 
Utah um, Arts Alliance, absolutely. We have visual trigger with us. <laughs> Projection artist, David Yardinelli, thanks so much for coming down. And I want to find out a bit of your orange origin story. How do you get to illuminate? And what is your background? Is it tech? Is it design? What is it? Well, uh, I grew up in the production industry just through my family and uh, had done more traditional video and graphic design art forms. Um, and, you know what really drove me toward projection mapping was this idea that I could take these images in my head or these worlds in my head and try and immerse people inside of them and create um, a, something that could really show what is in your head in a way that is different than just seeing an image on a screen or on, on, a, on a TV. Well, I'm thinking of something that's stuck in my head over this last year, and that was some projection mapping on the Russian embassy in D.C., I think, where they projected the Ukrainian flag onto it as a form of protest and using art. And I thought that was really creative and it really annoyed <clears throat> the Russian embassy. But uh, <laughs> so when you think about projection mapping, take me through the art and the tech side of it and how, I mean, are you mapping the building and then pulling that into your, your, your software program and then marrying it with images. How does it work for a layperson like me? Break it down like I'm a second grader. Yeah, I mean, something like that. You, you are projecting an image on a building, obviously. And, and the idea is to use some of the architectural elements and create a canvas combining the video that you're superimposing, that you're projecting onto the building, but yeah. also using the elements architectural elements. Of the I want to know about that because I'm thinking again of that example I gave the Russian embassy. It was kind of like a game of Pong and they'd move it around and then the Russians would try and sh create shadows and lights to make it break it up. But you're <laughs> taking the actual physical architecture and playing with it in the images that you're creating and then projecting up onto it. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why when we look at a building like the city and county building, we're really excited because it has a lot of really interesting architectural features. Some Gothic elements. Some Gothic, some Masonic symbology. It's some some interesting stuff. I was tracing out some of the architectural elements, which is part of the process in order to highlight them. And I had I took a picture of my screen and sent it to some of the other people on the team, just kind of joking, saying, "Hey, look at these." Yeah. Look at these symbols that are in there. <laughs> so how did you, to get all that into your computer and start playing with it, did you go down and have to do some sort of, um, I don't know, I'm thinking of how you me you measure lines for properties. Did you have to do some sort of assay on the building? Uh, did you take the tour? Have you ever been up all the way in the top? Yep, yep, <laughs> we did. And that, I, I'm not a big fan of heights, so it was, Neither, but that's it was too wonderful. Big to turn down, right? And also scary for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, if in an ideal world, we would use a 3D scan and yeah. do something more advanced. Like Kim said, this is an expensive art form. Mm. So what we've done instead of doing a 3D scan with a LiDAR is just take an image of the building or multiple images and compose them mm -hmm. and then do our own sort of 3D model to match it up with the architectural elements. You mentioned you have a team. So how many folks are on the team for Illuminate this So weekend? Steve Bride is the main artist that I'm collaborating with on this. So the two of us are composing uh, the, the majority of the show. Um, a couple other women in our art collective next door to you guys here at KRCL. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Odd Star that they uh, came in and helped add a feminine touch. So shout out to Moons and Trish 
for helping with that and and uh, creating a script that is feminine because it's two guys working on it. So, well, this the, I was going to ask you about the theme and how you've incorporated Mother Nature and light. Well, I mean, I feel like you know, obviously, the we all have a relationship with Mother, with nature, and so to be able to express that, uh, we were all really excited because it's it's a theme that's very near and dear to our heart. Okay. So to be able to express that and our our form, our way of doing that, because there's a lot of different ways you can address that topic, we kind of tried to craft it in a way that's similar to a four elements, four directions, um, ceremony. It's non, not ceremonial, of course, the, uh, yeah. the piece. It's just an art piece. But um, the idea is to uh, get people to reflect on certain things. So mm-hmm. it's set up in a way that it's kind of questions or reflections. Um, and last year we had used that sort of title for the group creating the piece or last time we had done this mapping, um, which was reflect Salt Lake. And we, the idea there is to create a digital reflection with the projection, mm-hmm. but also a mental reflection on okay. some of these ideas. Have you paired it with other art forms like music or anything else? Yeah. So Steve Bride, he's our sound engineer and he, so he's produced a, uh, track uh soundtrack to go with it and um we have a narration um that is being recorded for it that's that sort of ties in the whole story that we're trying to so is it just one screening shall we say kim or is it multiple times throughout the festival friday and saturday that once it's dark that folks can Mm -hmm. can see this projection mapping on the city county building you'll be able to see it throughout the hours of the festival which is 5 to 11 p.m Uh uh-huh it is always the um, weekend after daylight saving time. Oh, thank you. So, so that we all so know we what time it is. have a little darkness, <laughs> although I don't know what we'll do next year about that, because I think this is And a... then there's a vote, potentially, <laughs> to, <laughs> to stay on one or t'other. Yeah, but you'll be able to see five, 5 to 11 are the hours of the festival. David's piece will be up um, being shown periodically throughout the each hour of mm-hmm. the events. Very so. cool. And we've got puppets. There's puppets. Mm. Um. <laughs> where, where do you think this is headed? Because as we alluded to a minute ago, there is, okay, what does it mean to have drones and art and projection mapping in a cityscape? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talked a lot over the years in Utah about preserving a dark sky so you can see Mother mm-hmm. Nature above. Do you envision perhaps in future uh, years conversations about this during Illuminate? Well, those those were that was a lot of questions. I know, right? Let me let me start with um, (laughs) where I see the how I see the festival fitting into the Salt Lake City landscape is um, we you know we are our city is a city of innovators. We do have a lot of tech companies that reside here, Mm -hmm. right? So it's absolutely I think vital to the future of our community that we are adding the creative element into that mix, and then we are showcasing our city as an innovative city for creative tech. I love I, it. Well, Tech Lake City, it, it, it conforms to what the mayor is trying to do in Salt Lake yeah. to create our own um, tech sector, not to worry about Silicon Slopes or even research up at the university. But what mm. is what is tech in Salt Lake? And that intersection with art is so mm-hmm. fascinating. In fact, above the Odd Star building next to us here, it says make um, Salt Lake City an art city, right? Mm-hmm. And uh this technology, like you said, isn't going away. I'm looking at the website, illuminatesaltlake.org, and it says 8 p.m. for the drone show. So is it just once each night? 
Um, it just Friday night. Just Friday yeah, night. Just folks. Friday night for that okay. eight o'clock. You'll want to get there early. These drones. It's not. It's about a ten minute show. Uh-huh. Could be longer if the weather was warmer. Yeah. But these guys are. They have batteries, yeah. right? So like the temperature <laughs> will really literally batteries. dictate how long these drones can stay in the air. Yeah. So yeah. come down early. There's tons of other things to see. There's some. We've partnered with the Leonardo, our art and science museum here in Salt Lake City, so you can go indoors and enjoy the flight exhibit and see some of our steam exhibitors there. We have a, um, we've always had a lot of, uh, one of the coolest things that comes to the exhibitors is the high school robotics teams. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen this. It's so interesting. Yeah, they're fun and they, um, they love to talk about what they're doing at that age and battle those robots. It's pretty cool. Uh, killer robots <laughs> yes i love it but yeah there'll be plenty of performances plenty of things to do to keep you entertained just you know bundle up yeah, it's plus, gonna be a little cold it's not gonna be that bad plus if 30s you're, if you're listening out there and you're like i want to get into this i want to mm-hmm. know more about mm-hmm. it i want to i want to maybe try my hand at this this is an opportunity to really check it out mm. and for parents with kids who are like what are they gonna do with these video game skills well maybe mm. this is something to broaden that perspective mm-hmm. as you were saying the littles love illuminate i call them the little illuminators <laughs> But no, I mean, since the beginning, since this festival started, I was actually really amazed by that because I do feel like a lot of our marketing seems like it doesn't scream like this is a kids event. Like it's pretty, I love our imagery and our branding and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. we've always had this huge kid and family following at the events. And, you know, it's really fun. It's like to see the type of people who are distracted by blinking lights let's just put it that way you know what i mean well, everybody like, on commuter so traffic it's like the littles and then the well, party folks so and again it's, it's cool. right off tracks yeah no ticket necessary that's right and people can learn more on your website they can okay yeah. and that website is illuminatesaltlake.org part of the larger organization utah arts alliance that's right new home this year folks at the downtown salt lake city library on library square and lots of things to keep you fed keep you warm places to get in and out of the cold but dress warmly i'm not sure what the weather's supposed to be on saturday Friday, well saturday. i have been watching it and uh, and it is going to be clear and dry okay but it is at one point, we were up to about 39 as a high. Yeah. So I think we're going to break 40. Okay. You're going to have some, some little heaters on the street and stuff We like will. That? We'll do what we can to keep people comfortable. But, mm-hmm. but you know, this is a, we're a four-season city. I'm a big promoter of that. I've always felt like that's yeah. one of the things I want to see Salt Lake truly embrace, and not just in the ski industry, but in our cultural community where we can... We do things in the winter. Outdoors. Yes. Right. That make you happy. So, Well, David Giardinelli, a.k.a. Visual Trigger, I wanted to come back to you one more time before we wrap our show and just talk about, you know, how you got into this and what your advice would be for folks who are investigating it either as an art form or an, uh, uh, that intersection of tech and art that could maybe uh, broaden horizons for kids or the next generation. What do you think, David? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, I, I got into it a long time ago. I got into it as a, as a kid. So I definitely think that there isn't uh, an age that you have to start at. You can start at a really young age. And it really just comes down to having access to the equipment mm-hmm. and to the tools. So that's a really good reason to come down to Illuminate, to start seeing what kind of tools, what kind of equipment... How do you access it? And that's a really great thing about Illuminate is it gives someone like me access to that kind of equipment and those kinds of tools mm-hmm. to create that kind of platform. Because you were a graphic designer as part of your trajectory. Yeah, I mean, I started off working with 
more computer programming and um but i was always fascinated with 3d animation and graphic design and editing and sort of storytelling as as a kid do you find a lot of your background coming together in projection mapping and this kind of art i mean you were born in india raised in italy family of musicians and creative artists that sounds like a lot to draw on yeah, I mean, I, I was always encouraged to just go for it with anything that I thought I could do as a kid. My parents were like, yeah, you can do it. Just put a lot of work and and, and time into it. And uh, I think that really is, you know, you can do it if you're interested in, into getting into these kind of art forms and mm -hmm. just come out and come see how other people are doing it and learn from others that are doing it and keep trying. Wonderful. Kim, I'm, I'm kind of curious because it doesn't, it's, it's a no ticket necessary event, but we're talking about an expensive art form. So anybody you want to thank for helping to put this together and, and underwrite this? Well, yeah, I mean, we did receive a national endowment for the arts grant this year, which is both, um, you know, a help get this festival off the ground, but also an honor to be recognized nationally. And then um, I'll, I would Sundance Institute's been a big supporter of that. We were actually using their projectors to do this piece. The heavy-duty projectors are, you know, expensive, expensive rentals, so that really removed a big barrier to us. Um, of course, ZAP, you know, and the, and all the county voters who vote for ZAP, that's huge in our arts community. your tax community. dollars at work. It is. And, and it supports the arts. It does. It's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. It's changed our city, really, so. Well, uh, let me, you know, call back to something we were talking to Gabriella Huggins about at the start of the show, uh, Gabriella of Art Access, and that was you know, that art um, can tend to get priced out of a community. Mm -hmm. And um, if you are looking to support the arts, coming to Illuminate is a, a way to do it. But any thoughts on, on that? Or would you echo, Gabriella, pay the artists? <laughs> yes, we definitely want to pay our artists, of course. We want to keep them in the community. We want to keep them healthy. We want to keep them working. So, of course, that's key. For a nonprofit festival like this, if you don't have money to support us or donate, you can always come down and volunteer. You can support our um, food and bars, 21 plus. That oh, every, every beer we sell helps <laughs> pay an artist. Oh, you just triggered something in my brain. Oh, no. And that was the, Am I allowed to say that? the mocktail cart that <laughs> oh. will be down there. Oh, this is a really cool project. I was really happy. I've been wanting to do this for years, last couple years at festivals. But um, we have a vendor that's coming in that does a full on non-alcoholic bar cart. And they're not just, you know the mocktails you might think at, at home, they're literally like smoking one in a Traeger with steam coming out of them. As much craft. There's glitter. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're really going edible glitter, the extra mile, but it's cool and it's really nice. I've been wanting to offer that as a, um, you know, just to be a more inclusive event producer and, yeah. and have things and options for all the people that come out to, to our events. Well, then I also just noticed something else on your webpage, again, illuminatesaltlake.org that breaks down the festival, something called Weeb Streets. Oh, these guys. So these guys have been with us for a while. You're good. They are so highly entertaining. It's um, it's J-pop. Now, don't ask me what that means, but it's a derivative <laughs> of K-pop. I'm sure of it. And it's they've kind of got this like anime style of I'm um, picture anime. Maybe Japan. As, I think you're probably right. <laughs> it's like anime come to life, and they'll be. Um, they are actually taking over. You know, the sunken amphitheater at Library Square. Okay. Their group will be performing both days of the festival. Yeah. 5 to 11, so it's like a marathon of J-pop. Yeah. supposed to dress warm for the weather, but yeah. would you encourage people to come in costume if they would like? Oh, you should definitely. <laughs> <laughs> go 
How much your favorite? The costumes yeah. are the best. Yeah. That's, that's one of my favorite parts. The what? Every year. The what again? The costumes the are costumes? one of my favorite okay. parts every year. Yeah, so folks, one, one more, one more yes, thing I did yes. feel like worth mentioning. Uh-huh. We, we haven't talked about some of our big art pieces, but we do have, we did issue about 22 art grants for smaller installations this year. So throughout the Library Plaza and 200 East, you'll see a lot of roving art cars. You'll see some um, installations of both um, light and sculptural nature. So there's kind of a lot to poke around and, and explore if you are open-minded to it all, you know. And the giant time. Gaia puppet. Giant Gaia puppet. As, is, is Mother Gaia going to be alone or will there be a whole host of puppets? It takes, um, there are, let me think. There are well, there are a couple other puppets. We tried to keep it a little bit on the nature theme, so we do have a pair of flamingos that will be there as well that Alita actually made for the festival a couple years back. So this could be a good yeah. volunteer gig. Do you want to be the puppet? <laughs> you know, I might just take that on. I'm <laughs> telling you, something to get out of the house, right? Yeah. So again, Illuminate, Friday and Saturday, 5 to 11, no ticket necessary, nope. downtown at Library Square. That's right. Any last words of wisdom to our listeners <laughs> con- contemplating joining you for Illuminate? Um, really, I would just say it's one of a, I when I started working on this event, I've done a lot of events in this city, as you know, from farmers markets to New Year's Eve shows and everything in between. But when I took this on as a project with the Utah Arts Alliance under the direction of Derek Dyer, I was really just intrigued because it's how different it is and how um, it's not just like a replication of a lot of festivals you see with art booths and music there's a lot of those things there but this is really kind of innovative in my opinion and things we just don't see in our community so come out say hi illuminate utah's light art Mm -hmm. and creative tech fest check tonight's show notes for a link folks and get all the details and plan your trip to library square friday and saturday using tracks and uh as i sign off here don't forget Tomorrow is election day. Polls open at 7. They close at 8. If you're in line, if you choose to go to a voting center in your county to vote tomorrow, as long as you're in line by 8 p.m. tomorrow, you must be allowed to vote. More details at vote.utah.gov, or you can check tonight's show notes. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community. We're going to go out with a song. I asked Kim to send a couple of songs, and I lost track of time geeking out over all the (laughs) cool stuff happening at Illuminate. So we have time for just this one. And this is a Tom Petty cover, Walls by the Lumineers. Why'd you want to play this one? Well, (laughs) Tom Petty, unanimously loved by everyone, Mm -hmm. right? And the Lumineers, I think, fit our light art theme. So I also just really like the brooding voice that kind of overlays on this track all right thanks kim thanks visual trigger for coming in everybody else have a great night krcl 90.9 fm hd1 in salt lake city ogden and provo 96.7 fm in park city on the web at krcl.org listener supported community radio